Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. But as you know, as many lenses have a prismatic effect, today we're going to be looking at the Christian response through different chairs. And uh, let's get into it. To my right this morning, for the first time, I got Trevor. How are you d- this morning, sir? Doing well. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. And you're sitting in the chair of theology today, sir, aren't you? Yes, sir. Glad to have you there, dealing with why we believe what we believe. And uh, you'll be coming from the sola scriptura side of things. Glad to have you on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so only scripture, only scripture uh, is what sola scriptura means. But uh, to his right, we have Miss Nikki. How are Good you? morning. Good and morning. And I'm sitting in the chair of economics today. Yes. First I got time. someone to take the chair of economics. This is so good. Dealing with the practical rubber meets the road side of theology and the Christian worldview. There are values at play. And the real question is always your money, your wealth, your effort, your all of these things have an effect, or we're given these things for eternal purposes. And that's going to be an interesting topic today, talking about the blockade. And to her right, we have Mr. Charlie. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Which chair are you in, my good sir? We're going to politics. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Glad to have you A little you different there. for me. I'm usually on one of the philosophy or theology, but we're going to do politics. Yes, sir. And you rock that chair just fine when you're there. Dealing with the political nature of our views, uh, when you realize that uh, government is a God-ordained institution in office, you realize that Christians have an opinion about it. Separation of church and state is not the 12th commandment behind the 11th of be nice. And <laughs> uh, to his right, Mr. Steve, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Mr. John Arthur. Glad to have you on. And you're sitting in the chair of? Culture. Glad I'm going to run up and down that street this morning. Yes, sir. When the world brings out a counterculture or a culture counter to Christ, <clears throat> some would say an antichrist culture, the church needs to respond in a way that is intellectually vigorous, but also we want to be winsome. We want to win. Don't own the libs because then you have to feed them and you have to house them. You, you know, you, you want to win them to your side. When you when you set out to do something, make sure that in the culture wars, we're there to win people. That is the objective. And uh, yours truly, John Arthur, I will be sitting in the chair of philosophy, one of my favorite chairs, one I rarely get to grace with my tuchus, but today we do dealing with the rigor that one should take to theology. So if you read the uh, our, the title of the podcast today, you guys know that we're dealing with the Canadian blockade that's been happening. But really, I want to get down to the freedom to protest. The freedom to protest is an interesting issue. Is that a biblical thing? Is that something that should Christians be about protesting <coughs> peacefully? And what constitutes peaceful protest? And what cause what constitutes something that is, say, antithetical to scripture? But before we do that, I want to start off with a story. There is one that if you've been watching the news, uh, things have gotten rough with the protesters. And this article is from the National Review. Uh, deep down buried in the article, 
there is a, a, a blurb about this. Footage also captured several examples of what appeared to be overzealous policing tactics uh, against the protesters. These tactics, it's worth noting, were only made possible by Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act. We're going to talk about that. The, they have deemed these people terrorists, effectively. Uh, which the interim Ottawa police chief credited for the work we are doing today. Police smashed the windows of RVs, trucks, breaking in, removing protesters, hold up inside, searching cars. Protesters were beaten, pepper sprayed, and as seen on a one, at least one widely circulated video clip that appeared to show from multiple different angles, an officer repeatedly beating a seemingly unarmed woman on the ground with the butt of his gun. At one juncture, police on a horseback rode their horses directly into the crowd. Now, trampling at least two protesters underfoot, like we're, we're talking, if you watch the video, it's kind of hard to watch. You, you see that horse's rear hoof go right in the guy's sternum or, or gut. You know, it's kind of hard to tell because it's cell phone camera. I mean, that is a potential lethal shot. Those, those horses are very large and you don't want to mess with them. And, and, and it, it's not like the protesters were in the way of the horses. There was a police line. The police opened the line, and it, it, it's like uh, freaking uh, two, to two towers here. They, they came out like they were the, the kings going through the orcs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a fan of that. So let's start off with the question, is – it biblically permissible to peacefully protest? Is that something in a Western society where you have the freedom to assemble? Is that biblical? And so I'm going to start off with the chair of theology and I'm going to ask, I'm, I'm going to frame the question for you. If you are given the forum as a Christian, to bring up something that you think is antithetical to to God's uh, will and ways, should you bring it up? Can you repeat that question one more time? I'm trying to yeah. It, so, 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 so it's an interesting it's an interesting question, and it, it has a little bit of a, a nuance to it because there's there there is actually a. There is a rubric where it is in, impermissible and a rubric where it is permissible. But so let me say it this way. When you are given the opportunity to speak in the public square as a Christian, should you speak in a way that is nonviolent and in a way that is uh, exemplary of a Christian? Yes, I believe the point is that we should speak up. And I think what has happened in our culture, in the Christian worldview, and from a theological standpoint, looking at how the church has responded to these issues, we've gotten to the point where we're not speaking up, but we need to. The church has kind of been drifting in a sense, in my opinion, to where we just see something and we just say it's someone else's problem. That right there is why we are where we are. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Ezekiel, I'm, I'm forgetting the reference. I want to say it's 33.6. Uh, someone's going to 
quote me wrong, but I, I believe it's if there is a watchman on the wall who does not speak and harm comes, that watchman on the wall is going to be held accountable. Correct. And we need to be the watchman on the wall. Now, th there are ways about going about this that are correct, and there are ways of going about this that are not. And I think we're going to, I think we're going to, to get there. So let me kind of flow this down through the, through the stream. You have theology, philosophy, culture, politics, economics, and that's how this flows. So if we have that notion that we need to be a watchman on the wall, let's talk about philosophy for just a second. Did you find that? Yeah, Ezekiel 33.6. Do you want me to quote it? Yes, sir. If, if, if I nailed that, do it. Uh, Ezekiel 33.6 says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. That's a heavy price. So, yes, we need to protest. We need to bring things up. We need to use everything available at our disposal to warn our world that un unrighteousness is coming and things are about to get really bad. So the philosophy is, how are we going about this? Are we doing this in a way that is aimed and articulately focused to bring about a godly response? Now, I'm not sure about blockading exits and on-ramps, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you are speaking out in a way that is articulate and aimed at, I don't see a problem with protest. So, but but it's going to get, we're, we're, there is a side to this. There is a side to this that might be questionable. But moving over to the chair of culture, if we have a good philosophy and a good theology, but the culture is already lost. Where do we need to go back to and how do we need to inject that good theology and that good philosophy into the culture? Where does it start? It starts in the church. And not only does it start in the church, but it starts in the home. At the individual level. It, correct. And not only that, it starts with the fathers in the home, the men in the home, are given the responsibility of bringing their families to church because it's said it, it is you know you look at the statistics on getting people to church and when the father comes to the church the family will follow amen and you have a higher chance of that happening when the father comes and when the father is in the home so it all starts in the home. Everything starts in the home. And when you have the government at a point in time, which is now in this culture, where the government is working to destroy the family unit, because you've got where they're constantly looking at giving <clears throat> government payments for not having a, a man in the home. Yes, sir. You know, and going about having abortions being paid for. You have 
items like this that the government is willing to pay for to keep the man out of the home, what happens? You have a family unit that gets destroyed, and when the family unit is destroyed, the godly principles in that home get destroyed, and then you lose the leader of that family, and then once you have a leader, you don't have any direction when you lose a leader. That's just like in any situation. You lose a leader in war, in any type of situation. When you lose a leader, everything gets lost. Everything goes array. The sheep are scattered. And that's exactly and that's what kind of what we're seeing right now in, in, in Canada is that there is no there is no godly foundation because if, if, if we were following godly principles we would we would be safe. But the church has lost the grip on the narrative. We've lost the grip on the culture. And then that's really affected the politics in Canada. And so I want to pull over to the political chair. Again, kind of coming back, Mr. Johnson went deep. Like, he just he just went right for the jugular here, right, which is good. <laughs> but uh, coming, kind of coming back to the general premise of the question, politically, what are our remedies when we see something that we think is unjust, when we see medical tyranny? And whether, you're, whether you think the vaccine works or doesn't, doesn't really work that well, but... It w- and, and by the way, Pfizer. It didn't. It didn't do what was promised it would do. Pfizer and CDC just released bulletins saying, "Be worried about thrombosis, blood clots." Guess who's been talking about that this whole time? Um, but so just beware of that. But politically, what are our our recourses as Christians? Well, number one, it, it you need to go to the voting booth. And here in America, we are in the middle of primary season. Uh, in in Texas, in the middle of uh, early voting. Uh, got one more week to take care of that. So we got that. That voting is very important. And I would submit to you that the Ottawa police chief did resign for not handling this well. And we'll uh, get there. Yep, and I think there's a number of other people that need to resign. It's not because they're counter to what we might desire to see as Christians, um, but it's it's counter for, A, the language and the tactics by which they are trying to uh, address this. As Christians, and I think you've brought up a really good point, do we have the right to blockade roads and things like that? Very interesting. Let's get to that. Just a moment. Yep. But the one thing I want to bring up about this that I think is a human behavioral issue. We all talk with each other at a certain level. When we are not heard, we increase our volume and we get louder. This situation in Canada is that being shown on daily TV. The people of Canada are not being listened to. And what's happening is they're starting to talk a whole lot louder. And, so and they're trying to grab some attention. And you have to realize that, that these people have spoken to their representatives and nothing is happening. And, and, and let me tell you, that right there is the key issue. When you, when you look at some of the sessions of their governmental meetings, 
<laughs> Trudeau should not even be prime minister. The language that he uses in some of these sessions is downright despicable. Uh, and I want to, if you don't mind, I want to quote a couple of things here quickly. This is out of the, um, the article from Fortune uh, magazine. And save, this is save the, some of that because we're going to that to the next round. Yeah, well, here's here's what I want to bring out. This is the one paragraph that's really interesting. The protests, however disruptive and costly, have largely been peaceful. That's the quote. So, for a leader of a country to sit there and say that we're dealing with a group of terrorists, that we're dealing with people that are hanging swastikas, I'm sorry, you shouldn't be leading. You should you should get out. So one could say potentially, and in, in, in just to circle back to the question, your voice and your vote are the only peaceful recourses that you have as a Christian. I I would say that's true, and obviously prayer is a is is definitely a weapon as well. Amen. Uh, that's Amen. right, but we're, we're, we're dealing with the political chair specifically. Yeah, you're absolutely. You're correct. You're correct. Yeah. Don't, don't ever forget prayer. So, economically, and I know you have thoughts on this, because this is, this is a target-rich environment. Do we, as we protest, if we're dealing with someone who is taking away our liberties... Because here, here's what's happening. These truckers are the people that go up and down the roads in into Canada, into the U.S., down to Mexico. And they're being told that we will not give you passage into Canada or you have to have a X amount of time in quarantine, which is just untenable, by the way. That That is not going to work for a trucker. Uh, you, you, you just kneecap them. So instead of violently protesting... They've pulled over and they have congested roadways mm -hmm. in mass. They've just pulled up and created one long train that has congested the roadways. From well, an economic perspective, what do we do with that? Well, I think what they're trying to say is that you need us. We're the ones that are moving the supplies through this country. You need us. And we don't want this vaccine, and we're showing you the power we have, which I understand that. And and I support that. But there's a lot of, if you step back and look at the other side of it, how many innocent people are being affected by this too? Um, businesses. How many people are going to go out of business because of this? Because they can't get their supplies. They can't get their stuff to sell and, and keep their business going. So I understand from the, the protest part of it, but I understand how it's affecting a lot of innocent people too. And so you're in a, a situation where uh, people have a right to have their voice heard, but does the innocent businessman have the right to not be interfered with? So I would absolutely agree that there is a unintended consequence of this, or maybe maybe it is intended, right? So what do you do when, you, when your 
your not only your livelihood, I mean, people don't realize your wars were fought over this for centuries. Wars were fought over this. And many, many people have died for, for much, much less. When you take away someone's ability to live, and by the way, Canada has really been sort of shut down to this point. What other recourse do you have economically? Well, when you hit the economy, you hit the politicians because that directly affects them, and that's, that's I believe, what they're trying to do. Um, and they're going to succeed with it one way or the other because the fallout, um, I don't think people understand what the fallout of this, the politicians don't understand what the fallout is going to be. But oh, it's going to get ugly. It. I don't care if you're a conservative or you're a liberal. People primarily want things to be peaceful. And when you see uh, what's happening and you hear about bank accountants being frozen, even if you're on the side of the government and believe in the, the vaccine mandates, that still grips you thinking, wait a minute, if the government has power to freeze bank accounts... Will that affect me one day? Maybe mm-hmm. not in this situation, but will it affect me one day? What if I don't like something? Will they come after my bank account? So the fallout, we have yet to see that. So the protest is, in my opinion, working one way or the other um, because it's affecting the economy, which affects everybody. And everybody's going to have an opinion when they get done. And they're going to vote that way. So let's go ahead and actually start to look at what the protest in general has has sort of become. Because, well, there's a good story on this. There's a good story on this. Let's read that story real quick. And that is the fortune story. Just in general, I want you to go ahead and pull out that fortune story. And you've got a couple couple quotes from there yeah so hang on just a sec here on on this so the canada freedom convoy started when a group of truckers drove from canada's west coast to the national capital of ottawa to protest covid19 vaccine mandates for truckers over the past few weeks ordinary canadians fed up with the pandemic restrictions some claiming the mandates cost them their jobs and affected their families also join the movement. So what you've got here is a group of people that have been adversely affected, feeling like nobody's listening to them from their their, their government, and now they're going to start taking things into their own hands and do something about it. That's, that's what's driven this. As I mentioned earlier from this other paragraph, the protests, however disruptive and costly, have largely been peaceful. And folks, if you just turn on the TV, and, and I would encourage you to be very careful with the news source that you're you're looking at because some are definitely putting a different slant on this you might want to view two or three different places but they have been very peaceful there's not been you know ugliness and 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 all of that and the monetary cost the monetary cost here is parts not being delivered yeah but let's be clear that's the majority because you're talking about going back into Detroit, which obviously is a 
So they're not leaving Canada. So what they've done is they said, we're not leaving here. Mm -hmm. And you have bottlenecked the highways. Yeah. And it's this one long train that, that does block exits, that does block, you know, travel. Ordinary Canadian, I'm sorry, the protests, however disruptive and costly, have largely been peaceful. Ordinary Canadians joined the demonstrations to contest pandemic restrictions, particularly those who have had their livelihoods and families affected by COVID mandates. One protester told The Guardian that her request for a vaccine exemption on religious ground was rejected by her government employer. And as a result, she's been on unpaid leave for months. I'm a human rights activist. I don't think vaccines should be mandated for people to keep their jobs. So we're getting to the core of what some of these people believe is right. And they're, that's what they're doing by protesting. They're, they're saying enough is enough. Interestingly enough, some of the Canadian government provinces have already started loosening up on some of those restrictions. And I think in, in the court of public opinion, I'm talking politically here, I don't think the Canadian government is winning. No. They are losing this in a resounding way. Now, here's, here's where there's a big difference in America and Canada. And by the way, if you're living in the U.S. and you think that this can't come to the U.S., you are a fool to believe that. You can take a look at the riots of the last two years to make, to, to make the case. Canada's government is not one where a person is voted in by a majority. Some in the U.S. would claim that's true too. Far less often would a minority or under-majority win an office. In Canada, Trudeau was put in with less than a third of the people voting for him. Just think about that for a minute, folks. He's wildly unpopular. Unpopular. And by the way, we we could be ad hominem about this. Let's not. Right. But but just look at the policy and look at what he's done. And we're going to talk about the the mandate, not the mandate specifically, rather, however, the the emergency act. But before we do, I want to go over to the theological issue. Can I interrupt just for a second? I want to put something in here that's kind of important, what he was talking about earlier. Um, the culture in Canada, from reading uh, my reading from years ago, is people are more loyal to their province than they are the country. Correct. So that is important to understand this as these protests go forward. Correct. And 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 that's, okay, that's a whole nother That's a whole discussion. Right there. That, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that must be noted. But going theologically, let's talk about the mandate specifically. A lot of people have, and, and, and Trevor, it, it, I, I, can I out you here? I mean, you're, 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 you're fully vaccinated, right? Yes. So just, just saying that this isn't some sort of, you know, about half the people in the room here are vaccinated. So let's just put that to the side for the moment. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But some people have decided not to take the vaccine because of the relationship between the vaccine and abortion. I'm not putting that on anyone one way or the other. But I'm saying, let's say that you have someone who has that issue 
for them, that is a stumbling block. Does the government have the right to demand that you do something that you think with your relationship with God, right or wrong, but in your walk with God, you think you doing that would be wrong? Does the government have the right theologically to violate conscience? What a question. He's thinking. <laughs> Trevor didn't know he was going to get into the deep stuff. Be, because Tr Trevor and I have different opinions on this. On the spot. On the whole okay. vaccine issue, here is where I stand. I stand. I took it by choice, but I do not fault anybody with their belief to not take it. If they choose to take it, so be it. There are some people out there that I have seen who I'm going to use the term anti-vaxxer. Sure. I'm going to use that term to where they keep pushing the vaxxers to believe they made a mistake. Oh, I would be careful of that. I would be careful of that. Like, if you're like, my mother just went to her hairdresser a couple weeks ago and her hairdresser is an anti-vaxxer but the way he puts it and i absolutely agree with it hey if you're vaccinated or not i don't care this is, i just choose not to get it yeah so but to, to circle back to the question for the topic of today does the government have the right to violate someone's conscience if someone does not want to take the vaccine should the government not have the opinion that your mother's hairdresser has? I know the government is not going to share the same opinion, but the government can be very opinionated. But I don't think the government should steer people away from making a choice such as this. It should be someone's personal decision. Anything less is tyranny. And, and, and so let's go to the, before we go to the philosophical, I want to tie that in because Romans 13 talks about the model government. It lays out the model government says that, you know, you're supposed to obey the magistrates for a good governor is not a tyrant. Mm -hmm. Now that's the John Arthur paraphrase, but that is a if and then statement. That is a logical statement. So let's go to philosophy. If a government is here to increase the prosperity, welfare, and health of the people, but also part of that is your right to self-autonomy. Anything else is, is, is tyranny. If it is something that is relegated to oneself, the government does not have the right to force someone to do something that they think is contradictory to their nature. The government has the right to inhibit bad behavior, but not to enforce or impose behavior, to coerce behavior. It just has the right to stop bad behavior. That is what government was ordained to do. Once it steps outside of that, then you have people who are going to stand up and say, no, this is my livelihood. This is my life. This is my body. 
it's, it's funny. It's my body, my choice when it's someone else's body. And it's not a choice that shouldn't be made, but it's certainly not my body, my choice when it is my body. And, and I have a particular disdain or dislike, or I actually have family members. I, I won't air people's, people's uh, stuff out there, but I have family members who are predisposed towards clotting. They're not going to take the vaccine just be, because there's a familial and, 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 and I'm, I'm, I have that. I'm not going to take the vaccine due to previous very negative, nearly lethal reactions in my family tree. I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. You, 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 you have a lot of people who've had that happen. So if you're predisposed to that, don't take it. But the government has moved in. And what has that done culturally? Once we have taken an issue, like a personal medical choice, and we've made it a culture war issue. We're, and Josh is in here today. Josh just slid in. How are you doing, sir? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him a peppy, sleepy face meme. Well, the whole thing was I woke up at four o'clock because I had to track a shipment. And then I went back to bed. And then after going back to bed, I slept through my alarm. There's a reason this dude's employee of the year stop. Where, where he works, <laughs> but he's the butt of all the jokes. I'm about here. to have my performance review on Tuesday, so we'll find out if that's true or not. <laughs> <laughs> but but w once we've taken an issue like a vaccination, and, and, and this is not unintentional, by the way. This has not been unintentional. This has been very intentionally divisive to destroy the fabric of society. Where does that lead us culturally? Does that not create a this uh, uh, an us and a them? There's a lot to unpack with the whole issue of what they're first off what they're doing in Canada with the truckers protesting and holding up the supply chain in 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 spite of the COVID vaccine mandate that they're enforcing for truckers up there, but getting it to it down here. And how we see it being played out here. The vaccine has been completely made political. And also I will say the vaccine has been made. Like you said, very polarizing. Because politics in today's world is tribalism and it is polarizing. Another fully vaxxed and, guy talking, by the way. And so you get to the point of the government. And this is where I will actually cut the government slack. I will say this. I'm going to assume that these people have good intentions and that they're thinking, oh, you know, we want these people to be fully vaccinated. Oh, John Arthur's shaking his head, but, <laughs> but, the, but, uh, but I mean this. It, but, well, let's think about it. They could think, well, you know, I'm performing this societal good, a cultural good by enforcing the vaccine because I don't want people to die because we see the numbers and the numbers I'm looking at are showing that people are dying. And that's what these government leaders are looking at. And they're like, oh, you know what? That means we need to enforce the vaccine. But they're making a very big error here by saying that they, we need to enforce the vaccine. Is that do they have that reach to enforce that upon the culture? And do they? And, and, and the thing is, they don't. But they try to do it. And the way that they do it is by making it polarizing within the culture and making it an issue of like, oh, you're right. I'm wrong. If you believe that, that's crazy. It, you, you're viewed as as a wackadoo, regardless of which side you pull from in the culture, because they have made it that way, because they know they can't enforce the vaccine. Because if they do enforce the vaccine, guess what? We have results of how that worked. And that's the biggest thing. We have results of how this worked. 
it did not work when they tried to put everyone on lockdown or they tried to make it to where if you didn't do this, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. At least it doesn't work successfully that way. It might work negatively that way, but well, certainly not. But, but getting back to the question, is it a them or that? It is most certainly a them or that, and it's purposefully a them or that. Because if it's not a them or that, then they can't, they can, it's going to be tough. It's about stories, right? We talk about this all the time. It's exactly. about stories. And it's about the narrative. It's about the narrative. And they're trying to portray the narrative. And whoever portrays the most compelling narrative is going to win the hearts of the people. And they're going to win the votes. And they're also going to win the government contracts. That's why I was shaking my head. You have the biggest conflict of interest in someone having interest in the vaccine development who was over in Wuhan doing gain-of-function research. Yep. And he's involved in the vaccine development. You're spot on. So, so that that's where I shake my head. But what Josh was saying about there are a lot of good-hearted people who said, "Let's get this so that we can conquer this, this 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 virus, so that we can knock it down, we can knock it dead." There's a lot of good-hearted people who are pushing for that. But the problem is that the, the the vaccine was going to make everyone immune, and now it is causing clots and it doesn't make anyone immune unless it was to the alpha strain. Uh, I I, I mean, I mean the science, I mean, we, I don't really feel like we should be talking about the science because there is supporting evidence. I think across science, there's, there's debatable science here, which is funny. Science really is kind of weird, but science science has nothing scientists do. And so this is not the, 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 the podcast for the vaccine. You're correct. (gasps) We'll move on. But uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, It is Israel studies though. The Israeli science is the one to do because they have the largest population that is that is almost completely vaxxed. But but to the points here, I, I think what's there's there's two elements that are really interesting in this whole discussion, and and Josh has brought up one of them, and the other one is when you when you look at the whole thing when this started, if we had let doctors do like they felt like they should have done if we had just let them do therapeutics yeah the therapeutics would have been but it was political and and that's where i want to pull it in if we had just let it therapeutics we have close family and friends in this room who died we had an episode dedicated to mike henry yep good good man we just had a cousin that passed away just a a couple weeks ago very healthy guy so 62 years old my uncle, who's a nurse practitioner, I've talked about him, and, and, and so just letting you know, he's a he is a trauma care and uh, intensive care nurse practitioner. He works in one of the largest hospitals in LA. He says, "Look, this is the protocol. This is what they'll do, and in twenty something days, you will die." And and he has it labeled down within the three to five day margin. He says, "If you go home and you take budesonide for the cough, an anti-inflammatory steroid." If you take ivermectin in the right dosage, the horse pace thing, any any journalist who says, oh, they're recommending you take horse pace is guilty of journalistic malfeasance. Uh, take the HCQ zinc azithromycin regimen. This is what he says, okay? I'm not giving you medical advice, but I'm saying this is what a, a guy who was treated hundreds if not thousands of people off the off book and he says, I don't, if I got to them within the first week of symptoms, I don't have a single one dead. I have so many people who have come to me who are already on a ventilator and I've gotten them off a ventilator and they've gotten better. So 
this is just the therapeutics. We're not talking about curing COVID. We're not talking about, we're just talking about managing it and surviving it. It's become politicized. And, and, and that's where I want to, that's where I really want to start to go because now that we've had a corruption of interests, we've had a corruption of interests so that you can't even talk about therapeutics. Yeah. Where does that leave the Christian? Where does that leave the Christian? And where does that leave people who are saying, I'm not going to leave Canada. I'm going to park on the freaking highway. Yeah and protest this because I don't want to leave Canada and have to come back and get a vaccine or wait this long. That's what's going on here. And you know what we're talking, and I'm coming at, again, I'm coming from a purely political aspect. When you take a look at what's going on in the U.S., Biden said he would shut the virus down. Hasn't. That's going to be just one of the things that drive a lot of people to the polls this year. This year, forget about in another two years, that right there is the recourse that Christians have. They have the ability to vote. You have the ability to go and change who you voted for and, and what you want. But as Christians, I think it's really important. I, John Arthur, I think the question that you asked early on is huge. And the question is, does the government have the right to impose something against your conscience your will that question is is big and i'll tell you why and i want to i want to throw this out because this is on the opposite side of the spectrum what did we see with dr jack kevorkian i would be very careful with saying something like that because okay. what if my conscience tells me that abortion's okay no no so so that that right there is you missed part of it on the first one okay so what we talked about is, is that you have the government has the right to inhibit evil. It does not have the right to enforce what it sees as good. The government cannot coerce behavior. It is only, it cannot coerce thought. It cannot coerce behavior. And, and, and just, a, it can't. It literally does not work. You outlaw drugs, you get a, you get a black market drug. You outlaw alcohol. Get a black market alcohol yeah. run. You outlaw guns. You get a gun black market. The government just can't stop bad behavior. Or sorry, it can't stop bad thought. It can only punish wickedness. Yes. And and, and so so you were correct. You were correct. That has that point has to be drilled down. You're absolutely correct, Josh. And uh, that that is a worthwhile point mentioning. Thank you for bringing that up. It, it's a difficult issue. It, it really is for the Christian I'm talking about, you know, the world will, the world's just going to do what the world wants to do. That's yeah. I mean, but as a Christian, so here's a question. Politically speaking, if you were a Christian in Canada, would you be hopping in your car and going to that blockade? There you go. That's the question. I would absolutely consider being there at the demonstration, I do not think I would want my vehicle blocking the road. Practically, I just don't want my car being towed. You realize how badly people's cars get scuffed when some of these uh, uh, toes get hauled stuff up. I mean, I don't want to pay for that. But but there there is also the issue of 
locking up and gumming up the system. But the largest economic loss is not from the roads being full. It's from these people saying, okay, I am no longer, this is a unionization effectively is what is what just happened it's an informal union that is that is created here at least that that's the soul of it mm -hmm. saying we do not want and a lot of these a lot of these truckers are vaccinated by the way but they're purely coming at this from the perspective of I love freedom. There's a great meme. There's a there's a meme of uh the the the, the crazy guy and the guy who's 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 sane and it says the the, cra the crazy guy vax anti-vaxxers who don't believe in science and they're shaking hands and the and the and the tall sane guy goes me just loving freedom. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great yeah. meme. But what we've seen is a unionization to disrupt the uh, effectively disrupt the flow that these people are responsible for. What what does a Christian do with that economically? Well, if I'm if I'm going to protest, I'm going to do it peacefully and I'm not going to inhibit anybody else's property. Okay? I'm going to make my vo voice heard, but I'm not going to I don't want to cause harm to innocent people. I just want my voice heard. And I know the reason they're doing it, they cause harm is you get more attention and that's what they're looking for is is attention um but you got to remember part of this is inextricably intertwined because these people are part of the commerce so that's true so it, it is true th this would be the same if the railroad what they're, what they're tr really saying is is if you're saying that we have to be vaccinated and you don't have any truck drivers we're parking this is, our trucks this is what your your economy looks like correct because our son is a truck driver. The turnover is very high because of the hours. Mm -hmm. Some of them can be very grueling. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are just desperate for truck, truck drivers right now. And you just put another mandate on them to make it even worse. So you've got to stop as a, a person in, in leadership and understand what you're doing. You're not just doing to the truck drivers, what you're doing to your, the little people. And I mean, the everyday people, they don't have a voice. So where does that leave us? Well, this gets really interesting and it, we're starting to run up on time here. But before we do, the re this is all to set up the real story. And this is a story that you're not going to hear about. But this is the story that, that we hear. This emergency order, we kind of talked about that, but we'll, we'll, we'll breeze over that story. Effectively, Trudeau is the only prime minister to have ever invoked this emergency after the provinces were already clearing out the truckers with police, you know, do it. By the way, they, they waited and waited and waited, and they could have done stuff long before. And I, I don't think that's on accident. I don't think that's incompetence. No. I think they wanted to dis display a show of force. I think Trudeau has wanted to make sure that people understands that the hammer is in, in his hand and he's going to drop it. Exactly. And I think that's, I, I think that's where, where it's really going to come down to is, 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 is what I, I want to be careful never to attribute motive when unnecessary, but I think that is, that's, that's that it fits. His it certainly own, looks so, that way. That's the way it appears. And by the way, that's the way it'll look come voting time. But this story from fortune, uh, link in the description, Trudeau's emergency orders aimed at freezing the funds of quote-unquote freedom convoys, 
caught banks off guard. And I'm going to scroll down to the bottom of the article because you, you, there's a lot of information here. But banks are now saying, if this does trickle down, we don't believe this is going to trickle down. I'm, I'm summing up the article. We don't think that this is actually going to trickle down to us. But if it does, we're going to have to decide. We're going to have to have a full profile, maybe a social credit score. Oh, we've talked about those. We've talked about that. And we're going to have to decide who we do business with. You will not be able to buy or sell mm -hmm. without the permission of a governmental figure. They tried that in the United States. I'll tell you how that went. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and, and to that point, though, and this is, again, politically speaking, what you're seeing up in Canada is going to make its way down here if we're not careful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So where this comes down to, and, and I want to drill into this one point real quick. The end of the article, this this is uh, uh, Philip Yvette. Uh, the censorship of money is something we see in an authoritarian country, not one like Canada, says Philip uh, uh, Yet. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm sure I butchered that. Senior consultant to the Rivermount Crypto Fund. And, you know, because they're trying to freeze cryptocurrencies. He says, regardless of my views on the protest, freezing accounts for political reasons is a big, big, slippery slope. Amen. And what we're about to see, what we're about to see is this is th this is one world government nonsense here. Yep. Whatever you think about the vaccine, whatever you think about, quote unquote, anti-vaxxers or pro-vaxxers, we should all be united in this that this is an ungodly overreach coming at liberty, our liberties. Totally and, and, agree. and, you know, people say, oh, you, you people in but my liberty. No, no, no. My liberty to worship freely. I'm sorry, you can't have that. So there's kind of an account of something kind of like this in, in Daniel, uh, chair of theology. Josh has slipped over. Trevor had to step out for a moment there. Josh has slipped into the chair of theology. There's a moment in Daniel about uh, the government mandating conscience. How did that end up for Daniel? What what literally happened to Daniel? Good point. Sorry. Yeah, slipping into the chair of theology. What happened when they started mandating conscience? Well, the biggest problem with mandating the conscience is the fact that your conscience is all supposed to be about the Lord's glory and the Lord's will. So when the government mandates a conscience, let's say that conscience is not in line with God's will. And in the case of end time prophecy, we know it's not going to be a part of God's will. In the case of Daniel, it's not going to be a part of God's will. So what happens? Well, you get thrown into the lions. You den. get thrown into the lions then and, and, and you encounter this, this, this wicked time that will start occurring because you're not given, because the conscience is ultimately supposed to be in alignment with the Lord. When the government substitutes itself for your conscience, that, 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 that's the issue I'm trying to drill out here. When the government substitutes itself for your conscience, that government has become God. Most most definitely it has, and that's kind of the that's kind of the thing is is who is who is leading you essentially? 
Who is doing the leading? Is it the government or is it God? And that, and that philosophically, some people will say, but, but in times prophecy, I, I want that to come. I want that to come sooner. Isn't it great that, that end times are coming? No, no, no. You, you, you were given stewardship. And by the way, if you're in the West, if you're in, even in Canada, even, even in Canada, I would agree. but especially if you're in the United States, you've been given a stewardship, you've been given a heritage, you've been given something that gives you the freedom to prosper wildly. Unlike anyone else, and and by the way, that that is for God's kingdom's sake, and that and that's not you building a new house. That's you figuring a way how to minister to more people. If you're a bad steward of that, and you do not leave that inheritance for your children, may I humbly suggest to you that you were not a wise servant, and you have less than the talent that you were given mm. when the master comes back. That's a very weird thought process. <laughs> shouldn't we want the rapture to happen earlier it's it's and because and, and the thing is like well you know you could just off yourself and you would see the lord a lot quicker and, and that's, I mean, but that's, that's that's where and, it goes and, to because and, it's like well what's the like why are you waiting now <laughs> exactly exactly so 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 someone wanting the rapture to come sooner look don't get me wrong even so come lord jesus today hey i'd take it today yep but if i was the stiff-necked children of Israel who had the the Babylonian exile had to happen. I'm sorry, Joachim's, King Joachim's reign, his time frame, I do not want to be King Joachim. Okay? So let's make sure that we don't fall prey to this evangelical escapism, that this mm. world is not our home, <clears throat> and therefore I can be not intellectually rigorous and not deal with the culture, which brings us over to that chair. Yes. When we see this culture of censorship and we see that end times are coming, what should our response be to the culture? Should we be retracting away into this world is not our home or should we be more engaged in the culture than ever? Oh, we need to be more engaged. When we know that the end times are coming, we need to be way more engaged um, because we haven't heard the last horn. Amen. Um, as things are going on, we need to engage with those that are left on this earth that are not saved. We need to engage with everything that is happening in the world, all the people that are there, every type of government situation that's happening, voting, like Charlie constantly talks about. We have got to be engaged in voting in this country, especially if every, you know, I mean, we're all aware about how the past presidential election went and everybody concerned about that. I mean, these are items that we need to be concerned about and be involved with. And this is engagement that, you know, those of us that are God-fearing people need to be engaged in, whether it's the lost, whether it's the government, whether it is involvement with young people in the church, whether it is those that are saying in the church that are, 
hey, this isn't my problem. Uh, hey, I'm going to stand back, let somebody else take care of that problem that's going on. There are people got to stand up. You know, uh, it's Amen. like in our, our men's ministry that we have going on here. We're working to get more men involved and engaged in what's happening in the church. It's a foundation here in the churches are the men in the church. It's just like Paul talks about in all of his letters. The men in the church are the foundation, and he constantly talks to the men and the leaders in the church. That's what we need. We need to go ahead and start with a good theology, have a good rigorous philosophy, and start to win back the culture, because then politics will fall in line. But politically, what is, you know, the, the, the 20th century, I would argue that the church has radically lost the political oh, landscape. They have. they have. And so how do we start to take that back? John Arthur, one of the th I do coaching. I, I coach basketball, and I think one of the biggest challenges that coaches have today is motivating people. And and just think on that for just a moment. Compelling a person to do something that you would like to see them do. As as a pastor, I've got to believe that one of the biggest challenges that they face today is how do I compel the Christian to take a stand how do we compel our pastors to take a stand well oh, oh and boy i didn't even go there i'm i'm giving the assumption that pastors want you to take a stand yet you're spot on right there as well Se separation of church and state that came from a letter from thomas jefferson to a church where thomas jefferson was effectively saying don't worry about the federal government. You're going to be able to talk about any and every issue mm -hmm. you possibly can. Yeah. So that that, I, that, that, that that is what Satan will do. He will pervert the narrative, and he will pervert history. He will take what God has given us, mm -hmm. and he will twist it. And if we don't pay attention to our history, we'll believe the lie. I think the— the biggest thing that we can do as Christians is we can really, and let's use the word engage again, engage our fellow Christians in, look, you need to take a look at history and see where we're wandering toward. For us as Christians in the U.S., all we need to do is spend 15 minutes watching the news on this Canadian protest, and you're going to have a very good picture of why you need to be engaged in political action. And I, I want to be very careful here. I'm not talking about rioting and stuff like that. I'm talking about getting out to vote. I'm talking about talking to people that disagree with you on these issues. Be able to defend them. That's what you need to do. Amen. Know the issue and actually have a articulate. theologically articulate, yes. philosophically, culturally, politically, economically articulate okay. argument. And that brings us to the... Chair of Economics. You know, I was going to say this one point is the government is there to serve the people. So the people can per, uh, pursue the life that they want. Uh, the people are not there to serve the government. And what we're seeing right now is the government is making decisions that you're going to get in line with what I want. Doesn't that happen and in that every affects, sphere, though? That affects how I pursue the life that I want to live. 
And we need to keep that straight. The government is there to serve us so that we can pursue the life that we want. Not a life out, you know, I can't, my life has to be where I, respect my neighbor, you know, those type of boundaries. There's boundaries. You need boundaries. to be free to live a Timothy, a Paul's mandate to Timothy to live quiet, peaceful, fruitful Absolutely. lives. But we have a lot of people who will embrace the fact that we are there to serve the government and do what the government says because they're there to protect us and keep us safe. Our wonderful God is here to protect us and, and they wear badges and... Do you know that is why some governments uh, prohibit Christianity? Because, because Christianity gives free thought, and I can't rule you with three free thought. I think it was Bishop E.W. Jackson who recently said uh, that you look at Mao, you look at all of these other... He, he went through it. He went through Pol Pot. He says, the reason they go after the Christians is because there is a spirit of liberty there. Mm-hmm. There's a spirit... And, and, and it's not this, this rebellious nature. It is, no, 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 no. You are not God, Nebuchadnezzar. You are not God, Mao. You are not God, Hitler. The first thing that people say, Hitler was a Christian. Yeah, yeah. He went into the church and said, this is how you will preach. If you don't, I will shut you down and put you in a camp. So yeah, he was a Christian. Yeah. Of of that church that mm-hmm. he was running, the state-led church. So Christian persecution, be ready for it. It's coming. Guaranteed, it is coming. And you're seeing in Canada right now unfolding the beginning of that. So beware be vigilant, beloved, and be ready. With that said, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're over 20-something thousand downloads. Thank you for your viewership. It means so much. God willing, soon we'll be adding a video component to this. Uh, looking forward to that. If you like the com- uh, podcast today, comment down below in the provokedtoreason.com uh, comment section what you uh, thought. If you have an argument or a viewpoint tell us from which chair you're bringing that and uh, put it down there if you didn't like this well smash that dislike button twice love you all so much bye 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 all right all right so if you're still here uh, again you are our super listeners or you are our super sleepers but now that you're awake again now that you're awake again let's go ahead and go around the room do you think that any change is coming to Canada, or do you think that we're going to see them succumb to a tyrannical view on the vaccine? Starting with Josh, do you, tyranny or liberty? Do you think it's coming to Canada? I'm going liberty. I, I, I think it. I think it's in the cards. I'm going to agree with Josh because I don't think Trudeau has the support that he needs to uh, be a dictator. Tyranny because they don't have the political structure to make the change easily. I think there's going to eventually be some liberty, but I think they're going to start off with some tyranny first to try to enforce it. But uh, it's going to be persecution for sure, because personally, I just experienced some, and we'll have to talk about that sometime. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think you're going to see liberty open up, and then we're going to become complacent in one election cycle up there, and then it'll succumb to full tyranny. Tell us what you think in the comment section at ProvokedToReason.com. Love you all so much. Goodbye, beloved. Bye. See you.